You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. You can also hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 125, by Rudolf Steiner, 14 lectures entitled Paths and Goals of the Spiritual Human Being, Life Questions in the Light of Spiritual Science, translated by Christian von Arnhem. Lecture 11, given in Bremen on the 26th of November, 1910. Let us today in this branch meeting take as our starting point a number of questions of life which directly touch on human life. Then we will ascend a little to higher spiritual perspectives. I would like to start from two human characteristics, two human flaws or negative virtues, which are perceived as being something unsympathetic, as something which reduces the value of human beings. Let us speak about what we call jealousy and mendacity. If you look around you in life, you will easily find that there is a quite natural antipathy toward these two human characteristics. And also, if we look up to human beings who stand in life as leaders of other people, we can see that they place value particularly on not having these two negative virtues. For example, Goethe, who spent a lot of time practicing self-knowledge, thinking about his flaws, mentions, I have this and that flaw, these or those merits, But what appears most important to me is that I cannot count jealousy as such among my negative virtues. And the great Benvenuto Cellini said he was glad he was not guilty of any lies. So we can see that these two great personalities felt the importance of fighting against these two human characteristics. And the most simple, naive person agrees with these leaders of humanity in their valuation of that is to say, their antipathy toward these negative values. If we ask ourselves why these two characteristics are quite instinctively condemned, we will notice that there is hardly anything which corresponds so little to one of the most important earthly characteristics as do jealousy and lies. They correspond little to what we call empathy with other people, Because if we are jealous of someone, then we will be little inclined to give ourselves over to the virtue which corresponds to the most profound, the innermost existential core, to the divine in the other person. For empathy only obtains value if we not only have feelings of empathy, but if we can value the core, the spiritual being of the other person. But valuing Another person, as the basis of empathy, entails that we accept their merits and can take pleasure in the successes, the developmental stages of the other person. And all of those things exclude jealousy. Jealousy is a characteristic which is connected with the strongest egoism in human beings. The same thing can be said about lies. If we tell an untruth, we breach the law, establishing the bond which embraces all human beings with regard to the truth. Truth is truth for all human beings, 
and there is nothing with which we can practice developing a consciousness which encompasses all human beings more than with truth. If we tell an untruth, we commit a crime against the bond which should stretch from human breast to human breast. That is how things present themselves when we look at them as human beings. And when we look at them from the perspective of spiritual science, we know that our previous incarnations have an effect in this life and that we are subject to various influences. We keep having to go through two great influences, the two influences which we call the Luciferic and the Aramonic influence. We do not today want to discuss these two from a cosmological perspective. We want to remain with human life and imagine that we have passed through many incarnations. And when we passed through our first incarnation, the Luciferic power acted on our astral body. Since that time, the Luciferic power has been the power which has tempted our astral body. There are forces which Lucifer exercises on our astral body. It is basically the endeavor of Lucifer to obtain influence over the astral body of the human being on our earth. We have to seek him in everything which pulls the latter down. We have to seek him in all those characteristics which live in the astral body as egoistical passions, desires, drives and wishes, and be clear that jealousy is one of the worst influences of Lucifer. Everything that can live in our soul and has to be registered as being jealousy belongs to his field. And every time we suffer a fit of jealousy, Lucifer is taking hold of our drives in our astral body. Araman, in contrast, has influence over our etheric body, and everything connected with a failure in our judgment can be traced back to him, both the accidental, when we reach a wrong judgment, and the intended, when we tell a lie. If we fall prey to mendacity, then Araman is at work in our etheric body. The interesting thing is that we feel these influences so strongly, that we have such a strong antipathy toward them when they occur, and that people do everything to fight against these two characteristics of lying and jealousy. It would not be easy to find someone who deliberately admitted, quote, I want to be jealous, close quote. Although the expression, quote, I'm so jealous of you, close quote, is quite commonplace, it is not meant in that sort of way. People do not mean actual jealousy by that. As soon as we notice that we are jealous or that we are lying, we do everything to fight against that. In this way, we are taking up arms against Lucifer and Araman in this field. But now, something frequently occurs which we should take into account when we devote ourselves to spiritual science. We can fight against the individual manifestations of jealousy and lying, but when these characteristics are seated in our soul, when we have acquired them in previous incarnations and are now fighting against them, then they come to appearance as different characteristics. When we attempt to fight against a tendency toward jealousy that arises from earlier incarnations, then such jealousy puts on a mask. Lucifer says, 
Human beings are fighting against me. They have become aware of their feelings of jealousy. I will hand these people over to my brother, Araman. And a different effect occurs, which is a consequence of fighting against jealousy. Characteristics which are fought against appear in different masks. And the jealousy against which we are fighting then frequently appears in life in the form that we feel greatly tempted to seek out the faults in other people and criticize them severely. We can encounter people in life who always manage to find the faults and shadow sides of other people as if they had a certain clairvoyant power. And if we try to get to the bottom of this phenomenon, the cause can be found in that jealousy has turned into censoriousness. And this appears to be rather good characteristic to the people concerned. It is good, they say, to draw attention to the existence of these bad characteristics. But behind such censoriousness is nothing other than transformed, masked jealousy. And we should learn to recognize whether such characteristics are original or whether they are the transformation of other ones. Then we have to consider whether someone was jealous in their youth. Perhaps we have driven such jealousy out of him, and now he has become a censorious person. And lies, too, are often transformed in life and come to expression in another mask. Mendacity can lead us to feel ashamed of it but it is not easy to eradicate it at the root, and it is often transformed into a certain superficiality toward the truth. It is important that we know these things, because then we can take into account what we come across in other people in life. Such people are satisfied with responses about which we ask ourselves, how can they be satisfied with that? They easily say, yes, yes, that's how it is that is frequently the product of the transformation of what is really mendacity. We have to examine the law of karma, particularly with regard to such characteristics. Human beings do not pay attention to that because they are the most forgetful race in comparison to all the others which prevail on the physical plane. We might be acquainted with someone, for example. We remain close to him throughout life, and observe that some things change in him. After thirty years we are still close to him, and if we look back on life we would find curious connections in his life. But the person himself knows nothing about this. He has forgotten everything. But we should really observe such things in life. We can then see crucial connections. A person might be jealous in his youth, for example. Such jealousy does not appear any more later on, and its transformation is evident in later years in that the person concerned reveals himself with the characteristic of a lack of independence, of wanting to be dependent on other people, or of not being able to cope with standing on his own two feet, always having to have other people to give help and advice. A certain moral weakness occurs as a consequence of transformed jealousy. And we will always see when someone has such moral weakness that we have here the consequence of transformed jealousy. And transformed mendacity produces shyness in later life. Someone who was mendacious in their youth 
does not dare in later life to look people in the eye. In the countryside people have an instinctive elemental knowledge of this, which is not, however, conceptualized. It is said that one should not trust a person who cannot look you in the eye. Shyness and reticence, not resulting from modesty but from fear of facing other people, is the karmic consequence of mendacity, even in just one incarnation. What thus appears as moral weakness in one incarnation has an organizing effect in the next one. The soul weakness, which is the consequence of jealousy, cannot particularly destroy the body in the present incarnation where it has already been built up. But when we pass through death and return for another incarnation, these forces work in such a way that they become organic weaknesses of the physical anabolic processes, and we can see that a weak body is built up by such people who have transformed jealousy from a previous incarnation. When we say that a person is weak, but without prejudgment, because people would have to know what is weak or strong, if a person is easily receptive to different influences, has no resistance, then we know that his or her body is weak and that this weak body is a consequence of previously transformed jealousy. But now we have to say to ourselves, if a child is born into a certain environment as a weak child, we not only have to think of this inner karma as being at work, but also that there are reasons why we have been brought together with people in our environment. There is nothing arbitrary. This side of karma in particular that we are adapted to our environment is incredibly easy to understand. An Edelweiss, for example, can only flourish in the environment to which it is adapted. Human beings too can only flourish in the environment which is adapted to them. The simplest logic would have to say that because we can only understand life if we take this into account, every being fits with its environment. Nothing is random. Thus we are born among those people of whom we have been jealous or whom we criticized, and thus we stand with a weak body among those people of whom we were jealous in the previous incarnation, in what they had achieved or something similar. It is incredibly important to know these things, because only if we take this into consideration can we understand life. If a child with a weak body is born into his or her environment, we should ask ourselves, how should we behave in this situation? The correct behavior has to be the one which is morally the most high-minded, to forgive. That will be the best way to reach the goal, and it is also the best education for the person concerned. It has an incredibly educational effect if we can lovingly forgive a weak child, which is born into our environment. The person through whom that happens in a truly powerful way will see that the child grows stronger and stronger as a result. Forgiving love has to work right into the thinking because in that way the child can collect the strength to reshape his or her previous karma and take it in the right direction. The child will also grow physically strong. Such a child might often display characteristics which are unpleasant if we love him or her in our deepest heart, 
then this acts like an intensive medicine, and we will soon find how effective this medicine is. The corresponding thing applies if we take the other characteristic, mendacity. In one incarnation, the person becomes shy in their later years. That is a soul characteristic. But in the next incarnation, this characteristic works as the architect of the body. There the child not only appears weak, but in such a way that he or she cannot obtain any true relationship with his or her environment. He or she is weak-minded. There we have to consider that we are the people who were often lied to by such a person, and we should repay the bad things which happened to us with the best. We must try to teach such a person a great deal of what are the truths of spiritual life. Then we will see how they blossom. We should always have the thought, such a person lied to us a great deal in a previous incarnation, and we have to do everything to create a true relationship between such a child and his or her environment. Here we can see, if we look at these things, that we are always called upon as human beings to help other human beings to bear their karma in the right way. Anyone who thinks we have to leave people to their karma does not understand anything about karma. If we found a person who lied to us and we believed he or she had to bear their karma, we would show that we have no proper understanding of karma. Because the right idea would be that we begin by offering help. When it is said that we should leave a person to their karma, then this might at most be said in the esoteric field, but never in life. Imagine we endeavored to help other people in accordance with their karma. Take a person who has a shy nature. We concern ourselves with him lovingly. We thereby create a connection between this person and ourselves. We will then see that in this person something in turn comes back to us in later years. But we have to leave that to karma. We cannot speculate about it. We have to see it as our duty to help another person. And here I come to a subtle law. Everything that we do for someone else to help them to bear and overcome their karma will always lead not just to the other person being helped, but also to something being done for ourselves. But what we do for ourselves, for example, so that we make rapid progress, will not, as a rule, help us a great deal. Only those things can become productive for human beings which they do for others. We cannot do something good for ourselves. When we help a person to overcome their karma, the best results arise because what we do for others is of benefit for humanity. We cannot do anything for ourselves. That, in turn, has to be done by others. That is why we have to recognize, in the highest sense, empathy for other people. If we develop such empathy in the highest sense, then we will also feel, in relation to jealousy and lies, such an obligation of empathy toward other people. In this way we develop a feeling of solidarity which extends to all human souls. Humanity is generally predisposed so that every individual person feels a connection with the whole of humanity and in the way that it variously comes to expression in life 
This feeling should also live in his or her fight against Lucifer and Araman. In seeking to help frail people who have a physical body which has become weak under the influence of jealousy which has been overcome, in being clear how we should behave toward such people, it can become apparent to us how the world is filled with these impulses from Lucifer and Araman and how they can be overcome in the course of earth development. And then every person who follows such connections in their feeling will of necessity obtain an ever deeper feeling for humanity as such. In a certain sense, every person has the opportunity to feel something which can connect them with all people. This feeling has changed a great deal in the course of human development. If we go back three to four centuries, the feeling of what human beings possess in terms of general humanity was clearly pronounced in all people. If we carry on further back, back through the post-Atlantean cultures to ancient Atlantis, we were always incarnated then. And if we go even further back, we come to an incarnation in which we descended for the first time into a physical body. Previously we were in something spiritual. People still told themselves three or four millennia ago. Such wise feelings can be found in all human beings around this time. And the soul asked itself, What are you through being a human being? And it responded, Before I descended into my body for the first time, I was previously in an ocean of divine spiritual life and interweaving. I was in it, and all other human souls were also in it. That was our common point of origin. Such a basic feeling in human souls provided the possibility to have fraternal, generally human feelings since the origin of all human souls was felt to be a common one. And if we recall how in all ancient mystery schools human beings were acted upon to make them good human beings, so it was everywhere that they were referred to their common origin to the emergence of all human beings from the common divine source in order to make human beings into good human beings and make them receptive for the most profound, intimate, moving feelings. And it was easy to make this resound in the soul, but it became more and more difficult. If, for example, this had been made to resound in the number of people who are sitting here, that would have created an overwhelming impression at that time. But the feelings of humanity toward this common origin grew ever colder. This had to happen as humanity had to pass through a certain point of development. If we want to characterize it, we have to look at the future of humanity to the goal of earth development. Just as the origin is a common one and all human souls have arisen from a common archetypal ground, all human souls will come together again in a common goal. And how can we human beings find this goal so that we continue to develop when the earth has reached its goal and will sink and scatter as a material sphere under us human beings? How can we reach an understanding amongst us that we jointly move toward one future? Such an awareness of this communality has to go down into the deepest fibers of the soul 
that is only possible in that we as human beings learn to feel about the future as the ancient human beings felt toward the origin of humanity. This feeling has grown increasingly cold in humanity, but the life, the feeling, the certainty has increasingly to grow warm in souls that there can be something which is common to all human beings as the goal of humanity. Whether we have reached this or another stage of development, wherever we may stand in life in that we are human beings, something must be able to take place in our soul so that we can say to ourselves, we are all striving toward one goal. And looking toward this goal, we have to be able to say to ourselves, that is something which concerns every human being. We have to be able to find something in our most profound inwardness in which we come together in one point. In occultism, this is given with the name Christ. Because just as we could feel and know millennia ago that our souls are all born out of the common divine ground and origin, so human beings will increasingly learn to say, just as we find our way together in something common when we think, just as we can be in agreement in common thinking as it can live in all human heads, so there is something which can live like a common element in all hearts. There is something which like a life blood can flow through all human hearts. If this is increasingly a glow in us in future incarnations, then these will take such a course that when the earth has reached its goal so that it transforms itself into the future planetary state of Jupiter, human souls will come together be one in what is common to them, Christ. The mystery of Golgotha had to take place for this to be able to happen. To this end, Christ became human in Jesus, so that this common stream of warmth can flow from human heart to human heart. The feeling for the common goal of humanity emanates from the cross on Golgotha. Thus the past is connected with the future, this is the goal of the future development of humanity. It is not important whether human beings retain this common name of Christ, but what is important is that all human beings learn to understand that the same feeling which human beings originally had of their common origin is transformed into a feeling of a common earth future. Earth development is divided into these two halves. The one goes as far as the cross on Golgotha, and the other from the cross on Golgotha to the time when the earth will end. And human beings have much, much to do to understand Christ and His development. And when this will have been understood, then human beings will find each other in the common goal for Jupiter development. And all our individual findings have the purpose to discover this Christian principle. If we have attempted today to understand how karma can work to form the body from one incarnation to the next, then we understand how human beings can become ever more perfect in passing through the incarnations. Without calling him Christ, 
we are still speaking of Christ. We ignore the personal. If we have a child before us that lies to us, we tell ourselves, this child has lied to us. How can we help him transform his karma? We do not ask whether he has harmed us. We look at the child in its core, and thereby we advance karma. A deep feeling of human togetherness will in this way increasingly assert itself in the world. So that which we call spiritual science, if we really take it to mean an understanding of the life processes in the sense of reincarnation and karma, is the preparation for a true grasp of the Christ impulse in the world. It is not important what words people use, but anyone who truly comprehends this developmental law cannot be anything other than Christian, be they Hindu or Muslim or a member of any other religious system. The important thing is to take the impulse into one's soul, which is the impulse for the common goal of humanity. Just as once in ancient human beings there lived the impulse to look toward the common origin of human beings. That is why spiritual science always leads to the Christ impulse. It cannot do anything else. We could therefore simply also understand spiritual science as it appears today by saying, even if the person who learns about it may not want to have anything to do with Christianity, if he or she becomes an anthroposophist, they will in truth be led to Christ. In reality, they would be led there even if they were to fight against it in words. Thus we have today brought before our souls something that is directly connected with life. We have seen how we should behave when a child lies or feels jealous. We have to be clear that the karmic thread runs through all incarnations of the human soul, that karma is spun for it in line with its destiny, and that when we look back to the origin in God and then look toward the goal of humanity, we once again look toward God. We look back to the culture of the ancient Rishis. They spoke about the origin of human beings. They pointed to the world in which human beings existed before they descended to their incarnations. This teaching penetrated through the centuries and millennia. The great Buddha taught it when he said, Through their urge to incarnate, human beings lost everything which created the connection with the world of our origins. His call was to leave the world of incarnation again so that the soul can live once more in the spiritual worlds of its origins. And the prophets, in proclaiming the coming of Christ, pointed to a future in which human beings would once again find their proper goal on earth. And then Christ himself appears and fulfills the mystery of Golgotha. Then human beings can be led toward the divine spiritual future of the earth through the mystery of Golgotha. There is perhaps nothing quite as moving as two sayings which are similar in the Buddha and in Christ, and which can place before our soul the contrast between the ancient and modern time. The Buddha is standing among his pupils. He points to the body and says, I look back from incarnation to incarnation, how I always entered such a human body as I am wearing now. And this temple of the body has been built for me, by the gods each time anew. 
and each time the soul seeks to enter this temple of the body in new incarnations. But now I know that it is no longer necessary for me to return to a temple of the body. I know that the timbers have broken and the poles have disintegrated. Through my knowledge I have liberated my soul from this body. The wish and desire to return into such a body has been killed off. That was the great, the mighty result of the ancient times, which looked back to the origins of humanity. The Buddha and his pupils and successors strove to become free of the body. What a mighty difference to when Christ stands before his closest pupils and says, no matter how we understand it, we take it as the words of Christ as they are. Christ says, destroy this temple of my body, and in three days I will raise it up again. He, Christ, does not long to be liberated from the temple of his body. He wants to rebuild it. Not as if Christ himself would be here again in such a physical body in following incarnations. But what he teaches his pupils and all human beings is this. To return to this earth temple from incarnation to incarnation in order in each one to make the Christ impulse greater and more intensive so that we human beings can take in more and more of this earth existence in order finally to stand there so we can say that we have worked on these incarnations to become more similar to Christ. And we become more similar to Him in that we take into this temple of the body what Christ let stream out from the cross on Golgotha as His own being. This we let stream from human soul to human soul because that is the only way we can understand one another now. This is what is common to all human souls in the future of the earth. And then the time will come in which the earth will pass away, in which it will break apart and disintegrate, and in which human beings in a spiritualized state will pass on to the next incarnation on another planet. The words of the great Buddha. Quote, I feel how the posts of the temple of my body no longer support me, how the timbers are collapsing. Close quote. They can stand before our soul as the end point of our common human origin. And when we look at what Christ says to his disciples, quote, I will raise up this temple of the body in three days. Close quote. That can be for us like the beginning of the period which points to the goal of the earth. And we can extend these words because we can say, let this temple be destroyed in death, but we know that we will use the best forces we have made our own in this incarnation for the next one. We have received these forces in giving our soul to the cognition of Christ. In this way we will advance from incarnation to incarnation. When human beings raise up this temple of the body for the last time, they will have obtained an understanding of the future, common goal of the earth. It is the mystery of Golgotha alone which can be the common impulse for all humanity, for the development of humanity and the earth. The end of Lecture 11